Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything has a history. Everything you could possibly think of, like antlers, groaning and paint. Oh, which one of those do you want to do next? Groaning. Groaning, of course you do. Not only is it waiting that you want to do, uh, but it's also Mm. groaning. Excellent. I've got another. I've got another six that we could do as well. And and strangely enough, they all rhyme, Sam, would you believe? Pigs, (laughs) jigs and gigs. Mm. Oil rigs, wigs and digs. Good. Digging, I think, would be an interesting one. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, Wigs, uh, Wigs, I think, would also be... Yeah, yeah think, we've done hair. You know, we've done hair. We've but, done hair, but you know, wigs would be would be great. Pigs. We've not done pigs. <laughs> a porcine history of the past. I uh, can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? It would be it would be brilliant, brilliant. However, for the moment, we should be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways, connected to digging. Sam, uh, who knew that the history of buckets is in fact all about the history of seaside holidays, sandcastles, childhood pastimes, and sand deals? It's also about the Great Fire of London in 1666 and 17th century fire buckets. It's around about Roman and medieval situlas and religious ceremonies. It's about alum gathering, urine and the history of leather. And of course, it's all about gloves. Who knew? Or (laughs) who knew that the history of farewells is in fact all about the history of separation, World War One and the trenches, letters to loved ones thrown out of trains in matchboxes. It's about love letters to the dead in 16th century Korea. It's also all about the unexpected history of ancient tombs, travel and shipwrecks. Who knew indeed? Mm, it was a particularly lovely one, that episode. Oh, it was very poignant. Heart, we should heart do touching. welcomes as we've done farewells. We oh. should do the history of welcomes. Let's do welcomes next. Oh, yes. All right. Yes. Let's write that down. The history of hello. Yeah, welcomes. Um, Let me introduce my fellow presenter. If history were a castle with the thickest of walls, this man would still manage to tunnel in. He would scale the walls. He would knock them down. He would do anything he could, if only to get into the heart of that castle of the past. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello. And you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say... 
that if he were a wall-related historian, he'd only be the Great Wall of China of the historical world, so iconic, immense, imperial and imposing is his historical stature as it winds its way across the landscape of the past. He's the Hadrian's Wall of the history world, so monumental and dominant is his historical stonework in uncovering the past. He ain't no Seattle gum wall, no siree, Bob, smothered in <laughs> unhygienic, used and well-masticated gum. He's the real deal. His historical walls are brick solid. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. Uh, you, uh, we shall be do- doing the history of walls. We have. Have you come days. across the Seattle gum wall? No. I'm going to tell you all about it right at the end as a little sort of farewell, a little sort of lovely, unhygienic farewell from us today. Mm. But we're going to be doing walls, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of inspired by that in a recent episode we did on the history of stripes, in which I talked about um, the Roman habit of decorating their walls with um, with courses of brick amongst courses of stone, uh, which was both uh, structurally important but also looked kind of cool and also inspired lots of people in medieval Italy to make striped cathedrals like that at Siena. Um, and so we decided to do walls and um, it, it reminded us of the fact that we actually wrote a chapter on the history of walls in our wonderful book um histories of the unexpected the romans so um i'm presuming james we might start with a little chat about roman walls oh, we might start a, a little chat about roman walls. yes you cued me up perfectly <laughs> i think this was one of the chapters that i i loved the most um i mean so have a look at our uh, history of the romans uh, unexpected history of the romans uh, chapter on walls um it's Walls are absolutely fascinating in the Roman world. I mean, if you think about the way in which walls work, the significance of them, they're primarily built for protection and privacy. And it's about keeping people in as well as keeping people out. And think here of those massive walls that we think about on the landscape of Europe that surround Rome as a frontline defence during the reign of Aurelian, or think about Hadrian's Wall in Rome, Britain, in the north of the country, built in the uh, in the one twenties uh, to keep out the Picts. But also think about building walls not only as key architectural features for support of floors and roofs, but also that they delineated space within. They separated the inside world from the outside world literally from beyond what was inside its walls think about city walls as well Um, traditionally walls can be viewed as authoritarian structures so they seek to impose order and control although this isn't always the case so there's subversive activity connected to walls so people can write on walls they are public spaces get this for a phrase they are public spaces that could be conscripted for illicit ends. And what do we mean about that? We mean that people can dig under them, can climb over them, can scrawl all over them. You know, so so they're, they're things that might be put up by people who are in power. And then once they're there, people negotiate with those particular structures. They have physical features themselves, these walls. Think about portals, windows, doorways, gates, all of those offered opportunity for clandestine meetings while people are in the shadows they go unseen. Um, There's also a lovely section in this about clandestine love through walls. So the idea of parted lovers being able to communicate through walls. Um, We see this in the Roman poet Ovid's Metamorphoses 
for example, where we see really the true subversive potential of walls. And we see this in the telling of the story of the star-crossed lovers, Pyramus and Thisbe, uh, who were from the city of Babylon. Now, the tragic pair, it's a little bit like sort of Romeo and Juliet here, the tragic pair lived in adjacent houses and they shared a wall, but they were forbidden to marry by their respective families who were at war with one another. And the story has many uh, retellings, perhaps most famously in the Roman play within a play in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. But it's with Ovid that the key features of this tale were made available to the Latin-speaking world. And the couple are introduced to us as two of the most beautiful youths uh, you can imagine. You know, they're, they're often seen as, you know, the sort of uh, posh and becks uh, of their, their generation, um, for example. Um, they... They live in in adjoining houses. Um, they the city is surrounded by brick, and the nearness of their their acquaintance causes sort of um, them to sort of get to to know each other. They sort of fall in love. Um, over time, their affection towards each other increases. Um, they would have you know got together, uh, would have got married, but both of their fathers forbade it. Um, this was a thing that they, you know, you couldn't get married with this. However, they are separated by a wall uh, and they are still able to communicate through a chink in its structure. So this is a, a party wall, which is common to the two houses. There's a small chink in it um, from where it had been built. And this defect um, allowed them to communicate. And Thisbe was on the one side, Pyramus on the other, and the breath of their mouths, you know, sort of, you know, reaches each other. They talk to each other. Uh, and there's a famous line, envious wall, why dost thou stand in the way of lovers? What great matter were it for thee to suffer us to be joined with our entire bodies? Or, if that is too much, that at least thou shouldst open for the exchange of kisses, nor are we ungrateful, we confess, that we are indebted to thee, that a passage has been given for our words to our loving ears. Uh, having said this, they say, they say farewell to each other uh, each night and sort of blow kisses uh, to each other. So this is a this is a wall that separates two parted lovers. I will stop here uh, on the Romans and return to other sort of um, musings about the historical walls, but just leave you with this: imagine those walls throughout time that have separated people you know think about the berlin wall think about trump's wall in across the mexican border think about the walls that separate uh, north and south korea and i could go on and on and on walls in in palestine and think about the people that are separated by that the number of lovers across history who have been separated by the imposition of a wall that has kept them apart so there we are. There's a, a little entree into how we might think about the history of walls, connect it to separation, private life, and indeed the history of love, Sam Willis. Wonderful stuff, James. That was very impressive. Very impressive. Um, I, I'm off to China again soon, so uh, I did start thinking about the Great Wall of China. Um, there's one thing you need to know about the Great Wall of China, uh, above all other things, and that is that it started off as lots of little walls. Um, and so all of the 
different kingdoms of China, the different areas under different political control before China was unified under the Qin Emperor. Um, most of them had at least some part of their territory, of their borders, protected by a wall. And what's interesting about the Great Wall of China is that, um, to a large extent, it, it's the first time that it actually unites those walls and creates a, a, a large and significant boundary which not only has military uh, aspects to it, but also political symbolism. So there are some parts of it where, where um, you know, the, the wall was, was very porous and there are others where it was seriously formidable. Uh, and it's the difference between those two types of wall, I think, is very interesting. So, yeah, the, the, it, um, I suppose actually there's two things you need to know about the Great Wall of China. The first is that there were previous walls. And the second is that um, a wall is not a wall is not a wall. There are different types of the same stretch of wall, um, some weak and some strong. Now, if you look at the history of fortification, I've always been interested in this. I don't know why. Um, my... The, my first memories of being interested in history or archaeology was being interested in in uh, Hadrian's Wall, so that great wall across mine Northumberland. Mine too, to be honest. I, mine too. It's an extraordinary wall, isn't it? Yeah, um, and actually, that 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 raises some interesting things about how walls work. So, and and how people identify it with them. So, for the the, Ro the the ancient Britons asked the Romans for a wall to protect them from the raiding Picts. So for them, it was about defence. It was partially privately funded. It was uh, partially publicly funded. Um, and then you've got the, the, the Picts who see the wall as a threat, as a kind of a, a, a symbol of dominion. Um, it defines who they are not. They are not Britons. Um, so you've got these people on either side of the wall who see both see the wall as something different. Then you've got the people who live on the wall. You've always got to think about the people who actually live there and man the wall. And Hadrian's Wall's example is very interesting. So you've got soldiers from all over the empire. Um, this wonderful collection of letters found at Vindolanda, which is my favourite of the Hadrian's Wall forts. Um, everyone should go and visit it. Um, so when you're thinking about a wall, don't just think about the two people on either side of it and how it might be symbolically and culturally different to them, but also the people who um, literally who have built the wall or who took it down or who live with it or who interacted with it in different ways. And taking it down is interesting. So walls are uh, and have been um, extraordinary sources of building materials for cultures that come afterwards and need to, to raid them. And that's happened throughout time and in, in very many locations. Um, and you particularly see that at Hadrian's Wall now. So even where there are bits of it which have all crumbled down, there's still so much of it left. It makes you realise just how formidable it would have been. Um, but, you know, provide, it provided a, a building material for, uh, for subsequent generations through the, the Dark Ages. Um, and building houses um, but I was going back to what I was talking about in the, the Great Wall of China is having some walls that are strong and some that are weak um, there's have you heard of the walls of Ston S-T-O-N James no okay they're in Croatia they're basically known as the European Great Wall of China it's in no way is it as long but it's really really impressive it's a it's an isthmus it's a kind of an isthmus above Dubrovnik it was built in the uh, 14th century, so a period of these really important maritime republics in that uh, part of the eastern Mediterranean, um, Venice, Genoa, um, and then um, the uh, the Turks come along. 
as well. So there's a lot of warfare. There's a great deal of wealth, great deal of trade happening there, uh, primarily because of the end of the Silk Road. The land end of it is in Istanbul, and you need to be able to ship the goods across or around the Mediterranean, hence the growing wealth and need to protect it. The Ston, brilliant, hugely thick walls that protect an area of salt production. Uh, which at the time was was so important for preserving food and for main, maintaining large bodies of people. All the way up the coast, you've got Dubrovnik, Split, Zadar, um, and so on. These, these, these uh, amazingly important, culturally significant cities up the eastern coast that all need access to preserve food. And of course, you've got all, all the ships which keep the trade going and, um, and you've got the armed ships which protect the trade and all of those slaves on the oars and all of those free sailors manning the sails, they all need to be fed. Hence the importance of salt. Hence the fact that this entire peninsula is protected by the most staggeringly huge walls. Now, when I uh, was lucky enough to go there and explore them, um, the one set of walls they reminded me of was the walls of the um, mighty fortress at Valletta Harbour in Malta. Um, and uh, if you're ever interested in the history of sieges, do look at this, the, the Great Siege of Malta. This is when the, uh, the Turks are coming across the Mediterranean. And uh, the, uh, the, the Knights of Malta is one of, the, one of the, the great collisions between Islam and Christianity. And they lay siege to Malta. The Maltese do not... Um, uh, do not give in. They managed to fight off the Turks, and it's one of the very, very, very few examples of uh, these mighty maritime fleets of the Turks actually uh, being sent packing. Uh, anyway, the walls of Valletta are are just staggeringly huge, um, and this is an age of uh, gunpowder, um, a significant firepower for the very first time, and they've all learnt how to how to protect themselves in castles um, through the, the Great Crusader Wars, and then how to build um, uh, castles by the sea that can protect themselves from uh, uh, cannon mounted on ships. A really impressive place, and the kind the kind of of uh, of wall which was without any doubt built for protection. Um, and that may sound like a strange thing to say, but there are there are some castle walls which, although they look impressive, were without any doubt not built for protection. Uh, they were not well made. They were symbolic. They were uh, politically significant. And one of the finest examples of that is Tintagel Castle on the north coast of Cornwall, not far from us here down in South Devon. Uh, Tintagel Castle was was built um, by uh, Richard the Earl of Cornwall in the 13th century, and it was built to look old. It was built at the time in the 14th century to look like it already was hundreds of years old, to hark back to a period of the great Arthurian romances. So, um, yes, I'm going to conclude by saying my initial point about the Great Wall of China. There are some bits which are easy to defend. There are some which are very porous, which actually allowed trade and encouraged trade. And so with all walls of castles, there are some which were made to defend, and there are some which were made for another reason entirely. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. 
they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. historical accident he was okay well, he did hurt himself yeah mm. takes his own life by falling on his own sword uh, she waits then sort of um you know goes into mourning um only to sort of end her own existence by stabbing herself with the same sword that had mortally wounded uh, her beloved so a rather sad tale there so we've got this idea of of walls rather like the hadrian hadrian's wall or the great wall of china that are these sort of dividers between between peoples we've got the the wall with pyramus and thisbe and lovers communicating through it one of the other things that I have been talking about is the idea about writing on walls. And mm. there's an awful lot of evidence about this. We did a, a whole episode on graffiti. And, of course, walls are one of the prime sites for graffiti. In the ancient world, in the Roman world, um, one of the biggest sites uh, is Pompeii. Uh, which has over 11,000 examples of graffiti. And this is where, you know, in the Roman world, people would have marked uh, stone surfaces, scratching, chipping, chiselling them. Sometimes you sort of paint uh, on it. There's one uh, one particular graffito. Uh, purposes and there are different groups who wrote on walls for very different meanings and there are subversive 
meanings that are often attached to these. And we can also use it to capture the everyday world of ordinary people living throughout the Roman Empire. You know, one, they are a great resource for that. If you think about it, you know, there is very little writing of ordinary people that survives. But of course, graffiti is absolutely brilliant for it. Um, there's strong evidence that sometimes it were it can be a, a dialogue between people. Um, you know, so not just written, not just read, but also people are responding to it. So imagine somebody sort of writing up a piece of, of, of graffiti and then somebody else responds to it and then somebody else responds to it backwards and forwards. And I'll give you a, a really good example of this. And they're usually in the, in the form of exchanges of either jokes, jests, or, or even sometimes insults. Now, this is a, an example again from uh, one of the walls in Pompeii. And it reads in translation, Successus the weaver is in love with the slave of the innkeeper whose name is Iris. She doesn't care about him at all, but he asks that she take pity on him. And then a rival wrote uh, the equivalent of, See ya! And then there's what appears to be a further riposte to riposte down, uh, which which reads... You're so jealous, you're bursting. Don't tear down someone more handsome, a guy who could beat you up and who is darn good-looking. I'm suggesting that the translator here is American. And then there's another uh, riposte to this that's found uh, on the other side of the door in which the initial responder gives his name. It reads, I said it, I wrote it. You love Iris, who doesn't care about you. To successus, see above. Severus. And clearly this is not the intended purpose of the wall, but it's the way in which two individuals subversively have co-opted the wall into uh, a sort of form of jocular repartee. And it's probably the nearest we can get to being able to reconstruct or capture the essence of a Roman conversation. So a, a reminder that walls could be used uh, to, for everyday citizens to interact with each other so not just by the elites who use walls to contain them and also really interestingly is is the kind of graffiti also depends on where you find uh the the surface or the wall um and markings on walls were often erotic or sometimes overtly sexualized um over the brothels in in Pompeii there's a whole range of sort of erotic markings and art on the walls and and inscriptions they've they've counted about uh, 150 uh, erotic inscriptions of a very sort of explicit nature that basically you know refer to people in different sort of sexual uh, encounters and I'm not going to sort of go through that if you're interested in that um, go to the book and you can read it in all uh, its glory there's also a really amazing house that survives so it's not just on simply on the exterior walls but it's on the you know or on the public streets or in the bothels it's also features in domestic dwellings and this wonderful house is an elite house of Maius Castricius who, and it's a Pompeian site that was excavated in the 1960s and what archaeologists discovered was a four-story home that overlooked the Bay of Naples and it featured some 85 graffito 
which were cut into the stucco remains of the walls around frescoes in the stairwell and elsewhere around the home. And what emerges from analysis of the various writings and images is the eclectic range of people who seize the building's walls as a site for social engagement and conversation, many of which challenge the formality of the building. And the graffito depict a riot of interaction that is funny, that is sociable and at the same time subversive. And there are poetic fragments of greetings that sit side beside other graffito, frescoes alongside drawings of a deer, a peacock, a boat, even the head of a man with what appears to be a huge phallus extending out of his forehead. And here too the romantic and the sexual are found, including an elegiac poem which translates beautiful girl you seek the kisses that i stole receive what i was not alone in taking love whoever loves may she farewell so there we are sam a little sort of little sort of foray into the way in which walls might be co-opted for a whole range of social interactions there wonderful stuff um i wanted to think briefly about getting over walls or getting through walls uh, which is a, a theme that came up quite a lot when I was doing my series on castles. Um, there are various techniques they used, one of which was tunnelling. And so you'd dig a tunnel under a wall and then um, build it up like a mine. Um, so you'd shore up the sides, shore up the ceiling with timber. And then once you'd got to the kind of the critical point, you would then cover it all in pig fat and set fire to it. The supports would collapse, the ground underneath the wall would collapse, in theory, bringing it down. Um, one of the most visible places you can see this where it was used is at the castle in Rochester, which was besieged in the 13th century, I believe. And it's now got three square towers uh, and one round tower. And the interesting thing about the, the round tower is that this was obviously built after one of the towers had collapsed because it had been undermined. Because when you have a square tower, you can aim for the corner. Um, it gives a very, it's a very weak point for it. But if you have a round tower, it is less easy to target with something like a mine. Otherwise they use ladders, um, very complicated um, scaling ladders uh, and one of the most ingenious ways of doing it was uh, was used at the siege of Constantinople in 1204, one of my favourite sieges apart from the siege of Malta I've already talked about. Uh, siege of Constantinople is great so here you have, uh, the, this is the fourth crusade, um, can't get to the Holy Land because they haven't got enough money the Venetians are supposed to be taking them over in their ships, but the Crusaders can't pay the Venetians. So the Venetians uh, force the Crusaders to go and sack Constantinople, um, which is uh, a Christian city. So you have this ridiculous uh, scenario of a Christian crusade uh, putting its entire weight of attack against a Christian city. Now, the walls of Constantinople are phenomenal, um, built by the Romans, um, extended uh, ever since over the centuries. Um, very, very high, very formidable, very long, very difficult to get over. And the Venetians did it with a very clever trick. So they had normal scaling ladders, but they used something called flying bridges. And no one really knows how they worked. But it was something to do with using the masts of their ships. And uh, it's believed that the, a kind of like a, a yard arm, a horizontal yard arm, was hoisted up to the top of a mast and that the sailors then inched their way uh, astride the yard 
uh, onto the um, onto the walls, or perhaps there was a more like a kind of a, a, a scaling ladder that was put horizontally and then was was flopped down from the top of the mast onto the walls, and then that gave access onto the top of the walls. Um, anyway, very interesting, and I'd like to know more about that. It's a kind of um, one of one of those great historical experiments you could do. I also actually in preparing about Malta, I found a wonderful nineteenth century description of Malta. And um, it really made me think about what happened once the Venetians landed on the walls of uh, of Constantinople, as in who was there. So, it, you know, the walls are very long and you've got people from you've got mercenary armies essentially fighting and protecting very often in this kind of situation with. And that leads to language problems often. And with the siege of Malta in the uh, in the 15th century, um, what happened is that the Knights Hospitaller who were in charge of it, this is already kind of a bit of an international uh, an international uh, body of people anyway, um, and, the, and even more of them had gathered to protect, uh, gathered from all over Europe to protect Malta from the Turkish advance. And so what they did is they divided up the walls um, according to where the Knights had come from. I thought this is really interesting. So... Um, to the Knights of Provence, the rampart of St. John. To the Knights of Auvergne, the rampart of St. Michael. The Knights of France, St. James. To the Knights of Italy, uh, the ramparts of St. Peter and Paul. The Knights of Aragon, St. Andrew. The Knights of England, they were on the platform of St. Lazarus. Uh, the Knights of Germany, the rampart of St. Sebastian. And the Knights of Castile to Santa Barbara. I think it's really interesting the, the names they've actually given to different parts of the fortress of Valletta. So they've all got, um, all got names uh, of... Uh, of Christian saints, um, fascinating stuff. But I really like the idea of um, of this kind of international community manning the walls of Malta whilst it was being besieged by the Turks. Uh, really interesting stuff. So there we are. Good place to end, James. A very good place to almost end because I'm going to end with two <laughs> very short walls, or not their short walls, they're quite large walls. But I'm going to end with two sort of very short examples about about different kinds of walls. So we've talked about walls dividing people we've talked about walls for protection we've talked about walls and lovers we've talked about walls co-opted as sites for graffiti i've got two really interesting examples here that show you how walls were co-opted in different ways uh, take the first wall is a wall that divides north and south korea now this for more than 60 years people have been separated by a heavily fortified border and if you have a look at the i hope i'm going to pronounce this pronounce this correctly the imjingak pavilion in south korea what you have here is a is a wire fence that has been decorated with all sorts of colourful ribbons uh, upon which are written messages from people who wish for the two Koreas to be reunified. Um, Google it up. It is a, it's an extraordinary sight to behold. Uh, it looks almost like a sort of Morris dancer's sort of cost, bizarre uh, costume, these sort of very, very bright, multicoloured, uh, ribbons with messages upon them. The final example uh, is a, another sort of co-opting of a wall and this is as I promised you at the beginning this is the gum wall in Seattle um, and this is a wall under Pike Place Market in downtown Seattle uh, near Market Theatre. Uh, it's a wall that is about 15 feet high so 
you know, just well, just under five meters, and it's about fifty foot or fifteen meters long, and it is covered several inches thick in used chewing gum and bubble gum, oh. and oh. basically it has become a local landmark, a tourist attraction since the nineteen nineties, and it is disgusting. It's been voted one of the five germiest attractions uh, in... It was voted in, in 2009. There have been attempts to clean it up. It's been steam cleaned. I mean, just imagine how awful it is. There used to be coins pressed into the gum. People pressed, used it to sort of stick a cigarette, used cigarette onto the wall. Um, but now it is a, it's a tourist attraction. They are, they, it's been cleaned up. Uh, steam cleaned and in fact it is now something of a, a sort of an, an, an artwork a sort of collective form of art uh, and people have sort of where it's been cleaned away there's graffiti art uh, in the spots we haven't had time to talk about people secreting things in walls you know rather like uh, mm. our discussions on shoes and gloves where they would have been put inside uh, the walls and inside different sort of portals uh, in the house to sort of ward off evil spirits. We haven't looked at that sort of practice that you can trace all the way back to ancient Egypt, all the way through to the present day. Um, but that's it, our sort of ramble around the unexpected history of walls. Where have we been, mm. Sam Willis? Oh, gosh, we've been all over the place, James, all over, rambling around from China to the Mediterranean and to Northumberland and elsewhere. Korea. Yes. Uh, wonderful and stuff. Uh, thank you, Seattle. guys, for listening. And Seattle, yes. Yep. And we'll come back with the history of, with gosh, what we're doing, frailty and Frailty welcomes. and uh, and waiting. Oh, waiting. Frailty, waiting and welcomes, I think, is all going to yes. come your way. Um, thank you all so much for listening, guys. Follow me on social media at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, the history of the sea, it's brilliant. Please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. It is superb. Absolutely superb. I listen to every single episode uh, several times a day. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can check me out on Twitter at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. You can also come and make friends with us on Instagram and Facebook. Check out our back catalogue and signed copies of our books on our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com. And if you want to support what we're doing to change the way in which people think about the past, head over to patreon.com and our Histories of the Unexpected page there. Anything that you can do to support us, very gratefully received. But Meanwhile, um, take care. Get outside those walls, into the fresh air, wander around because it's good for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Cheerio, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.